Hello and welcome to the Biz Design Enterprise Architect podcast. My name is Will Scott, and in these podcasts, we talk to leaders in the areas of enterprise architecture and how they and their teams deliver value to their organizations in advancing strategy, optimizing operations, or reducing and managing risks. In this episode, we're joined by Milan Gunter, co-author of the fantastic book, Enterprise Design Patterns, and president of the Intersection Group, and also by Mark Langhorse, Chief Technology Evangelist here at BizDesign. Now, we discuss the increasing trend of blurred organizational boundaries between supply chain, partners, customers, and the overall enterprise ecosystem, and how this requires a much more thorough and proactive process of enterprise design and ecosystem modeling. So let's go to that interview now. So gentlemen, thanks very much for joining us on this podcast today. Um, I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Uh, Probably good for you both to introduce yourself. So Milan, why don't we begin with you? Perhaps just a quick introduction for our listeners. All right. Hi, so I'm Milan Günther. Um, I'm very happy to be on this podcast. And um, so I have a background in design. I studied design some time ago. Uh, and then added uh, a business master and also did some engineering stuff uh, with a lot of computers. <laughs> and um, now I'm trying to mix all of that. Uh, and uh, so about 10 years ago, I created a company called Enterprise Design Associates with two partners. And um, we kind of... Um, this this company was born out of the frustration that as designers, often the things we are designing are not really executed and implemented. And so we started experimenting with approaches to deal with that. We stumbled across enterprise and business architecture. Um, we uh, published a book about that called Intersection and then started a conference also called Intersection. And now we have a non, not-for-profit association, which is also called Intersection. Um, and we just uh, published our second book on that. And uh, yeah, I'm based in Paris, and um, that's me. Well, thanks, Milan. It's uh, it's great to have you here. And uh, Mark, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Mark Langhorst um, with Busy Design as managing consultant and technology evangelist uh, with the company for about uh, seven or eight years now. But before that, um, I was already involved with how Busy Design started as a spin-off from an R&D institute in the Netherlands in the world of business process design at that time. So I came to enterprise architecture, not from the IT side, although I have a background in computer science, but from the world of business process management, so more business architecture. Um, I didn't join business design when it started up, that was in 2000, but I stayed with that research institute and I managed the development of the Archimate modeling language there, this, this language for enterprise architecture. That was then uh, handed over to the Open Group in 2008 and made into an Open Group standard. Um, That's how I uh, uh, started in enterprise architecture. So from business process design into enterprise architecture and then joining BizDesign seven or eight years ago, um, serving different kinds of customers in in all kinds of capacities, trainer, consultants, um, uh, speaking about uh, uh, enterprise architecture at events and doing podcasts uh, like this one. Well, that's great to have you, Mark. So, gentlemen, I know both of you have written and talked extensively before about the need for proactive enterprise design, um, purposeful enterprise design. And there's been many trends over the years that have driven that. 
But I know one of the things that you both talked about is this idea of organizational boundaries being blurred and specifically the boundaries between the enterprise and its supply chain and its customers and its partners and things like that. Um, and I think there's probably a good grounding for the subsequent uh, discussion that we have. Uh, Milan, maybe I'll begin with you. Could you talk a little bit more about your observations of these, these the blurring of these organizational boundaries? Sure. So, um, yeah, so if you, if you look at today's organizations or, or enterprises or businesses um, or institutions, you see that a lot of the words we're using um, don't really fit anymore. Like uh, a lot of the, the terms we're using, I think, are modeled after quite uh, classic organizations where you have, uh, well, no, kind of they buy something, they do something with that, and then they sell it. So it's very clear who they buy the from, which are suppliers, who they employ, um, and who the customer who, who buys the stuff. So it, uh, it's a customer. And if you look at today's organizations, um, even like, of course in the extreme, it's in platform businesses. So you have um, if, if you look at Airbnb, Uber, any of those, who is really the customer? Who is the supplier? Is it the people owning the house? Is it the people um, renting the house? Uh, is it uh, both customers? What's internal? What's external? Uh, the, the whole product is delivered by these people. None of them are employed by Airbnb as a legal entity. Um, so what is internal? What is external? What is the operating model about? What's the organization design about? Um, and... Yeah, you have you have more and more of this. Uh, it gets worse, of course, if you look at um, worse or better <laughs> for modeling purposes. More interesting if you look at uh, public organizations, if you look at uh, NGOs. Um, and I think this also bears the question: um, What is a a well designed enterprise? Is it um, is it enough if it performs well according to shareholders or according to managers or employees or what is the impact that it will create? And, and I think that this impact that any enterprise pursues and then hopefully creates can only be measured uh, if we include um, people, really, or, or actors, but, you know, actually, in the end, people outside the boundaries of the legal entity. Because otherwise, we, we, can, we can optimize something very well for some goal that has been specified on the inside. But will the, will the enterprise actually... Um, achieve uh, whatever it wants to achieve um, is only measurable as an impact on the on the outside of this boundary. And some good observations there. Um, Mark, what do you think about this, the blurring of the organizational boundary, the difference between the enterprise of a decade ago to, to one of today? And, and Milan brought up some great examples, Airbnb, Uber, there's many others as well. They've got these very different business models to what we consider as traditional. Do you have any views on this? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, you, you need this ecosystem perspective to understand how an enterprise operates in its in its uh, environment. And it is indeed no longer a clear boundary where you can say this is inside, this is outside. Um, it's a much broader perspective. Uh, and you see that in all kinds of ways. Uh, of course, we, we saw the, the disruption of supply chains in the pandemic. Uh, that is, of course, one example of how enterprises are interconnected with the world around them. Uh, no organization lives on its own. Uh, all of them have have these these connections um, that they need to to be aware of. They need to manage, 
but it's not something you can manage in a classical command and control central organization. The one big difference between an ecosystem and an enterprise is that an enterprise has a center has a center of control and the ecosystem hasn't. So designing your ecosystem is not something you can do in the same way as designing your enterprise. You can't say, this is what we want to achieve, all of us. There, there's our goal, and we're all going to march in that direction. Because there is no centralized control, there is no management that can say to all these organizations in the ecosystem, let's go there. So you have to find a different, more collaborative approach to change, to um, to set that direction, and also just at a very basic level to understanding each other. Because different organizations from different areas, different geographies, different disciplines, they have different terms for things. They have a different mindset, and you have to come to terms with that. You have to come to a kind of shared understanding of how things operate. Now, that's, of course, a bit of my, my say, uh, pet interest, given uh, that I've been involved in developing this, this modeling language for architecture. One of the goals of that was to help people understand how an enterprise functions by using standardized terms so that we all know what this little box means uh, and, and that little line. At an ecosystem level, I think that's even more important because you don't, the, the differences are even larger. So you have a, a bigger gap to bridge uh, in, in terminology, in words, uh, to understand each other. So I see a growing need for, for standards in this area and, and for this ecosystem perspective to be managed in this collaborative way uh, of, of trying to understand each other and um, more, that's more kind of evolution that's, that you, you nudge an ecosystem in a certain direction by taking certain interventions rather than having a top-down top design where you can say, this is how it should be and that's where we're going to go. Uh, so I think the design of ecosystems is a very different discipline from the design of enterprises, but it also shares a lot. So that's uh, fascinating. So I can imagine, you know, the enterprise of yesteryear in Milan, I can sit down with a piece of paper, I can say, here's my organization, here's my internal organizations, here are my suppliers, I have three different alternate suppliers, here are my routes to market. And it was a pretty straightforward sort of topological approach to design this this enterprise. As Mark points out, this has changed an awful lot now. What's what's your views on this this concept of ecosystem modeling um, going forward? Yeah, I would say that there's actually also a a boundary blurring going on there because um, I, it's true that um, if you if you look at management literature um, from yeah, the last I don't know thirty years. Um, you know, it, it kind of assumes certain things. Every every um, business needs um, management and marketing and HR and uh, production and operations and so on and so on, um, regardless of what they do. And um, if you imagine designing a pizza place, uh, that's fine. You know, a pizza place needs all of these things, even at scale, if it's a chain of pizza places. Um and and I really like, uh, by the way, in, in one of Mark's books, uh, the the pizza place examples because they really uh, helped me to to understand what this was all about with Archimede and so on. Um, but I think if you if you try to figure out how to make the next big thing that has impact, it doesn't matter whether you want to, um, like, just citing some examples like uh, making um, enabling artists to earn money from their art. Uh, which is uh, one of Spotify's goals, uh, or um, 
you, you want to free the access to the world's information or you want to solve any of the big problems that humanity is faces. And it doesn't matter if you are a commercial or, or a for-profit entity. Like if you're clear about any of these ambitious endeavor um, like goals that you want to pursue, um, these these old categories, okay, I need marketing, I need sales, I need uh, HR and so on, will not help you with that actually. They, they will not help you design an enterprise that has that, that achieves this kind of goal so what can help you and i think this is where the ecosystem perspective comes in so what is this ecosystem what is the system that i want to as, as mark said nudge and influence and and change and if i don't uh figure out what those um what those dynamics are and what's going on and where the the leverage points are that i can use um i will fail and then my enterprise kind of needs to be designed to fit in there, of course, like to to and and to do the nudging. And it might be that is that this is more straightforward in the sense that I have more control over certain elements. But if we just think about what we talked about before, probably you will not do it alone. You will need help. Uh, you will need to engage other actors in the ecosystem. You will, at the very least, probably have to comply with regulations. So. Maybe that's something to to include. You you might need um, collaborations, uh, partners. Uh, maybe you you need to um, have support from um, local communities, from the neighbors, quite literally, of whoever uh, you actually want to um, have impact on. And and then, so I, I don't really see them as separate. I think in order to model an enterprise to be effective. We need to understand to a certain degree uh, what the ecosystem looks like, and then more, and then kind of project. Okay, if we did this, if we organized this like this, that like that, um, what would happen? And uh, one point that I want to make is, I think this often goes beyond the, uh, let's say, the scope or the viewpoints that um, engineering disciplines like like uh, enterprise business architecture have been focused on in the past. I think. Um, Things like, for example, what's our brand reputation like? Do people trust us? Do they believe us if we say we want to do this and that? What can we do to make them believe? Um, of course, part of, it's, part, of, part of this is operational excellence and engineering in the sense like uh, that we, we actually need to deliver on our promises. So if we say we do this and we never do, they will not trust us. But there are other factors, uh, maybe experiential factors, maybe product design, maybe, maybe service design that we need to kind of model into whatever our uh, target state is in order to to um, make something happen. So, gentlemen, we've talked a lot about how um, the need for um, better uh, ecosystem modeling has arisen as a result of the blurring of these organizational boundaries. Now, classically, an enterprise might think in terms of outsource versus insource. I should focus on things that are core and externalize things that are context. You know, the classic example is payroll. Why? Why? It doesn't make me any better or worse than a company. So why would I do payroll myself? I should outsource that. But as markets have evolved and as the economy has evolved and certainly as technology has evolved, can you talk about, and Milan, I'll begin with you. Can you talk about how the modern enterprise now thinks differently about this sort of classic uh, uh, equation of, core versus context, outsource versus insource. All right. So, um, yeah, I think um, 
one one issue that we have with that, as we as we mentioned earlier, is is terms, it's words uh, that we are using, um, and uh, outsourcing is one of these uh, these examples um, where you you kind of think of a um, business that has some competency and then they externalize that to because other people do it better or more um, cost efficiently. Um, and that's fine in, in that scenario, but that scenario turns out to be quite limited today because um, you might want to collaborate with someone uh, that does something better than you or that adds something to your common value proposition and you kind of uh, act as if you were one networked business delivering that. Um, and the question is, is because that is another entity, another legal entity, or because the people delivering this are not your employees, is that actually outsourcing or is that a collaboration or is that a joint venture? Um, is, does a joint venture, a joint venture always have to be one company? And, and this is where the boundaries are blurring a lot. So we are, we have a lot of, uh, organization forms and I, I use the organization term here because, you know, it, it is very, it's, it's one of those terms that, um, is associated with HR. And with team design and, you know, how you how you designate teams and roles and their responsibilities. But actually, if you just zoom out a little bit uh, to the ecosystem level and you realize that your enterprise itself is embedded in an ecosystem, but also an ecosystem itself, um, the organization of that ecosystem might include many actors that, um, that, that are not on your payroll. And it's still one organization design, if you want, and it's one enterprise design uh, because... Only together, uh, you deliver something of value. So, Mark, let me go to you. And I know you've worked uh, you've worked with many companies over over the years. This this idea now of having much much more capable and flexible business models, and certainly potential collaborators out there in the marketplace to make this sort of virtual organization, has that had an effect on lowering barriers to entry to marketplaces um, that we perhaps didn't see in the past? Yeah, certainly, and uh, you see that in all kinds of sectors, uh, especially the let's let's call it the virtualization of of much of what companies do. Putting it in the cloud makes it really much easier for organizations to to just start a new business in some area. Uh, we'll take for example the financial services industry. It used to be that you had these huge big banks with their their uh, enormous data centers with mainframes running transaction systems, etc. But nowadays. Basically, you can buy a bank in a box, run it in the cloud, and you, you can just start up your own bank. Okay, you need a, a banking permit, et cetera. So regulatory compliance is important. But as an example, a few years back, I, I had a, a conversation with someone from a, a new UK bank. They had just started, I think, two years before we had that chat. And they were just about 100 people big. And uh, they targeted a very specific group of customers that uh, used, just used mobile banking I think it was new arrivals to the UK that wanted to open uh, 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 a, a simple uh, uh, current account. Uh, and they served them by doing that all online, all in the cloud, offering uh, basically having your account set up within minutes rather than days with the traditional banks. And they were growing like hell. And it was really completely from scratch. In, 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 in two years' time, they had thousands of customers that would be unimaginable uh, 20 or 30 years ago. It, it's just not feasible. Nowadays, this is what you see. And there are new business models that, that specialize in, 
let's say, coordinating together these different resources, these different capabilities from different other organizations, rather than doing it all yourself. Uh, and that way, indeed, the barrier to entry is a lot lower uh, because you don't have to have all the iron in the, in, in the data center. You don't need to have all the personnel in, in customer service. You just have some call center company handling that, uh, some, some cloud service handling this, et cetera. And the coordinating role is, is, is sort of the center now. Um, and that's, that's indeed quite a change. So it sounds to me what you're saying, and particularly in service industries, because I mean, obviously in manufacturing industries, if you're mining, you know, you can't virtualize that. You have to have equipment taking ore out of the ground and refining it. But in service industries like banking, it seems like the, what you're saying is the differentiator now is no longer I have technical infrastructure or I have physical bank branches, or I'm taking this as an example. Actually, the 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 secret source, if you're really good at it, is the ability for you to identify strategic partners that you can bring together and coordinate and orchestrate to deliver a fantastic service. That 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 now is the secret source is can you do that? Not do you have a lot of sunk capital costs in data centers and, and uh you know bank branches. Would you would you say that's the case? Yeah, I, I, I agree. And there's even one, um, you mentioned the physical world. Indeed, if, if, if you're, say, uh, uh, mining some ore, of course, you need a mine. You can't virtualize that. But in many sectors now, you see that physical assets are becoming uh, platforms, becoming kind of virtualized. Look at what, what's happening in the car industry. Um, well, the valuation of Tesla, let's not talk about, <laughs> about that. That's kind of... Um, uh, odd compared to what other car companies are, are valued at. But part of that is the fact that they are turning their cars into a platform. And the expectation, I think it's overhyped a bit, but the expectations are um, that this platform will really make the money rather than se selling the cars. And um, having, say, in the future, might, you might have self-driving cars or taxis, or and, and maybe your own car is a car like that, and then you sell its services for, for use by others, because it's kind of platformized. And I think that will happen with many physical assets. If you combine it with some IT asset, this IT resource that, that, that makes it into a virtualized platform, and you see that with all these, these uh, electric scooters, et cetera, is the physical world combined with that, that virtual world. Um, and that will, will really change all kinds of business models. And we see that happening, and that will only go further. And that's, that's I think, a big change in many businesses uh, and we've only scratched the surface there. Well, certainly talking of cars, I mean, uh, it's on again, off again between Apple and Kia. I think I yeah. day it's off again now. But in any event, Apple's not going to be building their own production lines. So surely no. they're going to no. buy no. them. Seven and they don't build their own computers. They've got Foxconn for that. And yeah. they, they, well, maybe they're going to, to build a, a bit more. Well, they designed their own chips. But uh, even that, they don't have their own fab for, for creating microchips. They do the design. And then that's great, that, that is a great example. Apple's differentiator is the design. They're going to design a fantastic automobile experience, and someone else can produce this. Milan, do you have any do you have any views on this? Yeah, just to say that um, in many cases the physical assets are actually owned by actors in the ecosystem. So um, I think we see more and more enterprises like that, um, and that just makes the whole thing much more flexible. Uh, to the extreme that you can just switch <laughs> to to someone else doing something similar. Um, but but yeah, for me that really also means that as as designers and architects of better enterprises, there's no point to say the legal boundary of this uh, 
client or, or um, entity is the boundary we should stop at. Like it, it, just the architecture and the design will uh, go beyond that by by the, by the very nature of the of the kinds of organizations that we see these days. Um, and and for me, this is a this is a really interesting challenge to take a lot of the paradigms. Like, of course, you could look at something very traditional like the org chart, um, but even something more sophisticated like process models. And okay, if we now say there are always a lot of organizations involved, a lot of legal entities, a lot of uh, teams, a lot of um, actors with contracts between them, or me maybe even without contracts with, <laughs> between them, um, and they work together to deliver something like a process or something like a service or something like a product. What does it mean um, for our architecture and design work? Well, that's a good uh, question. I'm going I'm to ask you both to sort of comment on this because it strikes me in the classic environment where I'm assessing, you know, the supplier of drill bits to my whatever it is I happen to do. You know, I've got I've got three different suppliers. Every couple of years I go to RFP, I beat them up on price. And that's, you know, pretty straightforward supply chain, classic, you know, environment, outsource versus insource, you know, core versus context. But now you you two are describing business models that are completely integrated with an external organization. The, the failure of that uh, external organization could well mean the failure of my business as well, because they are completely integrated, even though, as you say, they are different legal entities, they are different um, businesses. So how do you, and I'll, perhaps we'll close with this, and, and I'll ask uh, Mark to comment first. Well, how, how do you think about risk in this new world? How do you assess business operating risk in this new world, these integrated uh, models? Yeah, that's, that's, that's certainly an issue. And maybe commenting on, on the business models first, I think if you take the perspective of, of customers, they are not just interacting with you, but interacting with all kinds of others. So their customer journey is not just their journey with you, but they are involved in all kinds of other journeys. And there's a lot of business to be had by these different companies coordinating in a better way. So we will see that coordination rise, but that also means that you will have more dependencies between these different parties. And that will that will make life riskier. You will depend on others and dependencies cause risk. So what I would expect is that organizations that are in such a network will not want to rely on a single party to provide service X, Y, or Z to, to their business, but they will be able to switch much more quickly when somewhere some service fails. So I think this network could help you become more resilient if you do it in the right way, uh, provided that you have set things up in such a way that you can switch from one to the other, uh, basically at the flick of a switch. Uh, technically, that is feasible, sort of, kind of, because you still see that, well, take the big cloud providers. Of course, if you run stuff in, in Amazon, uh, you can't easily move that to Google or Microsoft, which would be the nice thing to have. If you really would, would be able to do that, um, of course, that's that's just not not doable. But you do see services that are kind of interchangeable. And if I would run a business that would depend on some critical service, I'd like to have a second supplier of that service that I can easily uh, interchange with. So I think um, on the one hand, the risks go up. But on the other hand, we also see ways of mitigating those risks by making it easier to switch. So, I mean, I agree. There's certainly some things that are have low switching costs. I can move one easily from one to the other. But 
There's certainly some that have very high. There was a social media application recently that got turned off by Amazon, and that was the end of their business. They they couldn't move to Azure, and full stop. That the, the business shut down. I don't know where they are now. I think we all know the name of that social media app. The point being, Amazon was so tightly integrated into what they do that that's got a certain risk profile associated with it. Um, and maybe that's just the, the nature of the new world we live in that we have to tolerate. You know in some cases, greater switching costs and therefore greater risks. Milan, what do you think about this? Uh, I, I think it comes really back to something that that, um, that we talked about earlier, like what do you actually assess when you assess risk? And, and right now we talked about uh, the cost of switching in maybe technical costs, maybe contract penalties, things like that, you know, things that you can put a number on easily. But I think um, in order to really... Um, design our enterprise in a way that it is resilient within its ecosystem can can mean two things it can be it can mean that we easily switch to someone else if we are unhappy with the one that we are partnering with um, or it can mean that we really choose our partners wisely and then build a business together uh, build an organization together build an operating model together and for that we have to actually look into um, do we um, actually have a shared idea, core idea about what we're doing here. Um, and in your example, uh, like that was definitely not the case. Amazon is uh, so much bigger and they don't really care about what that company was doing. So for them, it was really easy to say, okay, we are out. And with that, you are out, uh, literally. Yeah. And, um, and and I think, so if we, if we look into identity as a, Uh, as a facet of, of enterprises that is just kind of neglected in 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 many architecture models, but it's also actually neglected in most business model design because you look at the money, the contracts, the 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 cash flow, the value proposition, and so on. But you don't really look at okay, does everyone involved actually want to do this? Do they actually want to pursue this? Um, the same goes for um, things like the the uh, Mark mentioned the customer experience before. So yeah. I, my customer journey is never with one company, never, because uh, these journeys are not isolated instances in a world, in, in a void. You know, it's like I, in the morning I, I make coffee and then maybe I call your uh, call center, for example. Depending on how I manage to make my coffee, I might be grumpy or not, you know, and, and that's part of my journey and you cannot do anything about it. And I think this is also something that companies have to realize that like there's a lot less control than they think, especially journey models. I've seen a lot of journey models that are basically just reverse process models. Like it's like what they think or would like the customer to go through. Um, often it, it ends with, and I tell all my friends about how great it was. And, you know, and, and I think we need to become more realistic and also more diverse. We might need partner journeys, supplier journeys, um, investor journeys, uh, staff journeys, and so on. And, and to just incorporate those dimensions, like the experience and the identity into what we are doing in order to actually uh, design an enterprise that makes sense and that works. So here's the closing question for both of you, and I don't think there's an easy answer to this. So we've talked about how business models are changing. We've talked about to be successful, the most successful enterprises will make their capability of designing integrated businesses as something that differentiates them, not necessarily, you know, something as benign as, you know, running payroll or what have you. 
So this sounds complex. This doesn't sound easy. Um, who, do, who does this? This is not someone in the supply chain organization. This is not the business architects documenting business processes. Like, Mark, I'll begin with you. Who, who does this in the enterprise? Is there an uh, easy it's answer? Not, it's not a single person. Uh, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not even a single team. It's, it requires multiple disciplines from different areas of the organization collaborating on this design. Uh, and it might involve architects. It might involve uh, customer service representatives or uh, interaction experts or business experts, legal experts. You need all kinds of expertise to bring this together. Uh, of course, we, we already needed that for any kind of other uh, enterprise design in the past, but it's, it's become progressively more complicated with the, 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 the complexity of enterprises, the complexity of ecosystems. Um, so it, it requires more than uh, a few, let's say, brainy, brainy types sitting in, in uh, some, some boardroom sketching stuff on a whiteboard. It's really a collaborative discipline with people from different uh, areas uh, involved. Um, and another aspect that makes it more complicated than just designing a single enterprise is that there is no, no central control in, in an ecosystem situation. You have to collaborate with your partners set up something that's shared. And if you look at how things are approached typically from a legal angle, it's always about what's yours and what's mine, rather than what's shared. Uh, and that shared bit, that's perhaps the most important. And we need to take a different approach to designing that than this, this legalistic angle where, where we, we are trying to divide up the cake. Uh, and, and we need to come to a, an approach that looks at it from this, this collaborative, collective, shared perspective. Um, but it's, it's different to what people are used to. Um, so it's not easy. Well, Mark's, Mark's brought us full circle there, Milan. I'll leave the closing words to you. So we've talked about the need for collaborating. And obviously, that doesn't just mean people within your organization. It's people within those ecosystem organizations as well. And as Mark just said, it's no longer, this is mine, that is yours. As we began talking right at the beginning of this podcast, the blurring of those boundaries. So, what do you see when you work with your clients? How do they how do they take on this this very onerous task of designing this next gen enterprise? So, so I really agree with what what Mark said. Um, I think it's not one uh, person, not even the CEO, because no one has the full view and the full vision and the full insight on on an entity like this. Um, and uh, for me, the main challenge is to integrate the perspectives of those different people. And I do think that there is a special role for the architects and the designers, because that's what we are good at. We are good at seeing things. We are good at um, mapping, modeling them. We are good at looking into the future, like what might be, and revealing these opportunities, and then uh, having conversations, like all those things that we are we are making, um, are just as good as the conversations that they spark. So um, I, I think that's that's the the big opportunity and also the big challenge. Um, we are using, for example, uh, one one model quite extensively. That's called the Milky Way map by um, by our partner Annika Kleiber from from Sweden, and it's a map where you just use the the flow of an enterprise over time to um, map who's doing what. What's the experience? What do we need to accommodate that experience? What do we actually want to do? All of that, all of that on one value flow. And this is one of these models that we we actually use for um, aligning different perspectives and make people talk to each other and understand each other that might actually not use the same vocabulary. 
Um, and I think we will see much more of that in the future. Not just this map, but many, many of these models. Well, gentlemen, I'd like to thank you both for your time today. It's been a fascinating conversation to get your a very informed insight into how the nature of enterprise design is changing and the need for it to be much more thoughtful uh, and purposeful and uh, proactive. So, uh, Milan, Mark, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Will. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview and some fantastic insights from a couple of gentlemen who spent many decades working with global organizations in helping them reimagine and redesign their ecosystems. For more podcasts, blogs, and recorded webinars, please visit us at bizdesign.com, where there is a wealth of information available. And if you'd like to tell your EA story and feature on this podcast, then please email me, Will Scott, at podcast at bizdesign.com. Bizdesign is a leader in the area of enterprise architecture software and supports enterprise architecture teams in delivering value to their organizations with a key focus on the value outcomes of strategy advancement, operational efficiency, and reducing risk. Thanks for your time today.